The reading this morning is from Malachi, from the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Kerry. Let's pray. Lord, we sang that song just a minute ago, that all your promises are yes and amen. And we praise you for this wonderful promise you have to pour out blessing as we trust you. Praise you that you are the good God who wants to give and to bless. So pour out your spirit on us now. Uh, help me as I speak. Help us as we listen. And may each of us uh, take the next step in living with you as our Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as many of you know, I spent the early part of the week at General Synod. Thank you for your prayers. It was uh, wonderful, it was bewildering, there was a lot to take in, it was exhausting. Um, so much that is so good across the Church of England at the moment with wanting to plant new churches and release mission funds and how to do that. One or two things that may not be quite so wonderful, inevitably, uh, but it, it was fabulous. The highlight, I think, for me was the speech that the Queen sent, the message she gave right at the beginning. Sadly, she couldn't be there. She was due to be at the Cenotaph and then at the opening of the General Synod there in the heart of Westminster. Then she said she'd do the Cenotaph, but she wouldn't do the Synod. Then she didn't make the Cenotaph. But she, uh, she sent a greeting. I gather it is one of the very only ones she writes herself, um, probably along with the Christmas one, that she really has, this is what she wants to say. And Prince Edward came to deliver it to us, but we were all very profoundly aware of the Queen behind this. Uh, and including what she said, she said this, It is hard to believe that it's over 50 years since Prince Philip and I attended the very first meeting of the General Synod. None of us can slow the passage of time. And while we often focus on all that has changed in the intervening years, 
much remains unchanged, including the gospel of Christ and his teachings. The list of tasks facing that first general synod may sound familiar to many of you. Christian education, Christian unity, the better distribution of the ordained ministry to the needs of the population. But one task stands out supreme, to bring the people of this country to the knowledge and love of God. And sorry, I found it profoundly moving at the time, and I do again now, that our Queen has grown in her faith steadily down the years. She's got more clear in how she expresses it every Christmas. And here she was, she's 95, and she is saying that the gospel of Christ and his teachings do not change, that the supreme task is to bring the people of this country to the knowledge and love of God, and she assured of us of her prayers. And I found preparing for, in the back of my mind, I knew I'm preaching on Commitment Sunday, the Queen seemed this just wonderful example of someone who has dedicated her life to serving others, uh, to doing it in the way of Jesus, treating everybody, whether she agrees with them or not, with utter respect and dignity, but carrying on following Jesus herself and encouraging us as the Church of England uh, to bring the people of this country to the knowledge and love of God. It was profound and, uh, and wonderful. Uh, you heard earlier Carolyn in the prayers uh, mentioning the diocesan vision to see 150 new worshipping communities over the next 10 years, some in new areas of housing, some in existing parishes where there's groups of people who just not in contact with the church. Across the whole Church of England, there's a vision to see 10,000 or so more. Uh, now, if that is to happen, it would be profoundly wonderful. And we get to play a part in it. And two weeks ago, I was preaching from Acts 1.8, where Jesus says, you'll receive power as the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in our context, here we are as witnesses to Jesus in Leamington, but we feel God's call for that to spread out into the surrounding villages and areas of Warwickshire and who knows how much further beyond. So today is Commitment Sunday, and at the end of the sermon, as I said, I shall invite you to renew your commitment to Jesus. And I've given you a copy of the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, by Francis Ridley Havergal, an old hymn. Uh, Francis Ridley Havergal was the first organist of this church. This church is nearly 150 years old. Uh, she lived on Binswood Avenue, just half a mile over there. Uh, I got to unveil a blue plaque outside her house, 42 Binswood Avenue, if you go and find it. Francis Ridley Havergal, and underneath it says, Take my life and let it be, consecrated Lord to thee. It's the only blue plaque I've ever unveiled. It's the only one I'm ever likely to unveil, I think. But it was wonderful, as the vicar of St. Paul's, to unveil that plaque to our first organist, who wrote this hymn that has been used down the 150 years since then to help people offer themselves to Jesus. And at the end of the sermon, we'll have a few minutes of just quiet, just to pray through that. It goes through every aspect of our life, uh, our relationships, our love, our time, our money, our energy, our resources, just laying it before the Lord. Uh, now, the good news is, is that Jesus is not looking to take from us. That's the lie of the evil one in the garden, that God's a spoil sport. The truth is that Jesus has come to give us life. John 10.10, 10, that wonderful verse, uh, says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the evil wants to do. Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full. 
But there is this internal tension within us, and I feel it preparing the sermon as much as you feel it now, that when it comes to giving, whether it's time, energy, money, and some are much happier to give money and struggle with time, and some it's the other way around, uh, we feel we're losing. And that's what the evil one whispers to us. That the opposite is true. When we hoard stuff ourselves, when we look after, look after number one, actually the joy goes down. It's as we give that we're set free. And God is the great giver who gives to us so we can give back, so he can give more to us, so we can give more to others. Uh, that's what he wants to set up. And that's what lies behind the text uh, for today, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, that I've given you all on a card, but here it is. Uh, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. It is an astonishing promise. Uh, Most of the way through the scriptures, we're told not to put the Lord our God to the test. Do you remember the devil came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness? Throw yourself off the top of the temple. That'll convince people. And Jesus says, no, we do not put the Lord our God to the test. But in this area of trusting God with our finances, uh, we're invited by God to test him, to dare to risk giving and trusting that God will bless. Uh, The way it works, I think, is a little bit like how it works with forgiveness. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. As we release forgiveness to others, so our hands are open to receive the forgiveness God gives to us. The more we're aware of God's forgiveness of us, the easier it becomes to forgive others. The more we hold on to stuff ourselves, the less we're able to receive God's goodness. It works like that with our finances too. As we release and give, our hands are open to receive what God wants to give to us. If we hold on, then much as God wants to give to us, we can't kind of receive it. Uh, And I think I want to give an apology to the church. I was reminded as I was praying this morning, just praying into today, that God wants to give to us. That's his desire. So he invites us to open our hands generously to others so that we can receive what he wants to give. Now, the apology is this. Uh, I was going to preach quite seriously on money uh, 18 months ago, and COVID happened. We were facing a bit of a shortfall as a church, and I thought, oh, I can't preach heavily on money now when COVID's just kicked in, everybody's worried about their jobs. And I was going to do it last Commitment Sunday. And I thought, we're in the middle of COVID and everyone's worried. I can't do it now. Uh, I need to do it now. We haven't done it for a couple of years. It's an important part of our discipleship. But the apology I'm owing you is that I'd fallen for the lie of the evil one, that if I persuade you to give, it will be bad for you. But the truth is, it's good for us. We can't outgive God. And I'm sorry for not reminding you of that over the last two years. I think I may have got that wrong. Uh, anyway, we're redressing the balance today and focusing on giving. Uh, it's in every area. Some of you are brilliant at giving money. Uh, thank you so much for everybody that gives to the life of the church. We've kept going, and the giving's been fairly steady. Uh, thank you. Some of you are fantastic at giving your time and your energy and your prayer and of yourselves. Uh, we're giving of ourselves to God and trusting that he will give to us what we need. And the Lord says, test me in this. It's not that he gives us so much money um, that we give a bit we won't miss. It's we give, and it's costly, 
and God promises to meet our needs and he says, test me, you're only going to find out if you do it. Uh, so that's what we're thinking about this morning. Uh, but in the prayer time, the sermon's focusing on money, but in the prayer time, it may be your time. We need more people to be offering with our children and young people. Not all those who volunteered before have come back, some for very understandable reasons. We've got a wonderful tech team, but they're on pretty much most of the time, and we need a few more volunteers. Our musicians, similarly, actually every part of the church uh, needs a bit more help, and the Lord, I'm sure the Lord is calling us. But we're called to serve him in our jobs and in our homes and in our villages and towns and streets and communities. Our time, our energy, our money. And Malachi, in this book, if you've never read it, it's a short book. Um, you can read it in five or ten minutes. He picks off a whole load of areas where the people of God are not following God seriously. It's the middle of the 5th century BC, probably about 450. It feels very like the end of Nehemiah, where near the same sort of time, Nehemiah's rebuilt the walls, but then he goes away and things unravel. It's that sort of time. Uh, and if you read through the book, you find that the worship they're offering to God is second rate, that there's false teaching from the priests, that people are marrying people who worship other gods and their children are being drawn away from the living God, that some of the rich are oppressing the poor, and there's a general spirit of permissiveness across everything. And the Lord says in verses 6 and 7, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, I don't change, so you're not destroyed, because God is a gracious God. Uh, but ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away and my, from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. What God is longing for is relationship with his people. And when they don't trust him and drift off, they can't receive God's blessings, and they go wrong, and God's pained, and God longs them to come back that he can give them more of himself. And it's expressed and focused in this area of what they do with their money. So let's read on from verse 8 to 10. Uh, Will a mere mortal rob God? But you're robbing me. You ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not be able to contain it. Now, God gives us everything we have anyway. At the 8 o'clock communion service, there's a bit of the liturgy we say every week as we dedicate our offerings. All we have has come from you, and we only give you what is yours already. God gives all the natural resources in the world. He's given us our abilities. He's given us our backgrounds, some of us with many advantages over others. It all comes from God. Uh, our abilities, now we have to work with it, obviously. But if God didn't give in the first place, we couldn't do it. Uh, a few years ago, I did uh, it's a bit of a stunt, really, in a sermon. And you can't do this more than once. So I'll just, some of you were here. Uh, but I invited at the start of the sermon everybody to get out their handbags or wallets or purses and see who'd got £100 in cash. And I said, who's, and a few people put their hands up. Jolly night. And I said, would one of you give me that hundred pounds. I'm not going to give it you back. And I did this at each service. And I remember at 10.30, a lovely lady called Jane said yes and came and gave me a hundred pounds. Uh, and I said, thank you very much. I'm going to explain why that's relevant later. Put it in my pocket. Everyone was a little surprised. And uh, people looked at Jane like, wow, she really likes the vicar, you know. <laughs> uh, 
a little bit later on in the sermon, I said, let me just fill out that for you. Uh, I was at the door as people were coming in, and Jane came in, and I said, if I give you £100 of my money, when I ask for it back, will you give it to me? And she said, yeah, sure. So, um, so I gave her £100 in cash, and when I asked her back for it, she gave it to me. It was mine. I asked her to give it back. She gave it back. Now, God gives us everything, but God's much more generous than me. I didn't say to Jane, here's £100. When I ask you for a tenner of it back, would you give it to me? Keep the 90. God gives us everything and invites us just to acknowledge it's his, to give back to him. The tithe is 10% and to offer. Uh, it all comes from him. And God is looking for us. To, he's, he's a giving God. We're made in his image. Most famous verse of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave. We are designed to give, and we come alive when we give. There's children in need on Friday. Lots of us are here with the King's Chamber Orchestra, so I didn't get to watch that this year. But there's a joy in giving, or in comic relief, or Christmas presents, in giving. And it's true as we give to God and his work as well. So what we do with our money is an expression of our attitude to Jesus as Lord. Jesus is my Lord. So everything about me belongs to him. That includes my money. And that really includes the bit I give and it, how I spend what's left. I want to do it in a way that honors the Lord. And I want to say again a thank you to you as the church. Uh, we encourage people to give online and we collect the tax back. And our giving held pretty steady. It's down a bit, inevitably, through lockdown. But the last three years, it's held held. Thank you so much. It's enabled us to keep doing what we're doing. It's enabled us to pay the staff. It's enabled the ministry to look to go on and develop. And I'm so grateful. Uh, some of you in the last couple of years have really struggled. And we have a hardship fund. If that's you, we would love it. Please let us know. We would love... Don't struggle in silence. Just let me know, or one of the other staff, or one of the leaders... And we would love to bless. People have given generously to it so that nobody needs to go without what they need. Some of you, over lockdown, have actually done really well financially. You've carried on earning really well and you couldn't spend it on anything. Couldn't go on holidays, couldn't go to restaurants, no point buying new cars because you couldn't drive. It was, some of you have done quite... And for some of you, a one-off thank offering may be really appropriate. Through the Bible, you get these thank offerings. of just Here's a one-off. Some of you may have inherited... Uh, and one-off thank offerings are a great way to do it. Actually, just as an aside, I encourage you in your wills. Please do write wills. You never know how long we're going to live, but it makes life so much easier for your family if you've written a will. Uh, in our will, we've got a mirror will, so if I die first, it all goes to Juliet. If Juliet dies first, it all comes to me. But when we both die, 10% of our estate goes to the Lord's work through different places. Church, I encourage you to do, tithe your your will, your legacy. Who knows? But that just at the point we're about to plant a new congregation and send off, I don't know, 30 or 40 people off to plant something new, and we're thinking we need to give them some money to go with them. They're taking all their giving and leadership. Who knows? But one of you may have just we may have gone to glory, and in your will there's a gift of 100,000 for us or something. Or who knows? Uh, the Lord works it out. I don't know how it works. Uh, but God is, God is no man's debtor. So do do that. Um, I encourage you. That wasn't really what the sermon's about. The sermon is about our regular tithing and offering. Uh, back to chapter 3 and verse 10. Tithes and offerings. Uh, tithing is a biblical principle to give 10% of our income. So I tell the church, yes, I tithe my income to the church. I get paid on the last banking day of the month. On the first of the month, the tithe goes out. 
We give offerings above that to the church and elsewhere, but we don't tell anybody what those are, usually apart from in exceptional circumstances. This is not just an Old Testament thing. This is a New Testament thing. Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. That's kind of how, if you went to the shops, they didn't have plastic bags in those days. Uh, you would hold out the folds of your garment and they'd tip it in. So you get a good measure in there. Uh, pressed down, not with lots of air bubbles in it, will we use, and running over. Uh, the idea for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's the same principle, give and it will be given to you. God wants to give. He wants to bless. Now Malachi is preaching in pretty strong terms to them. He says to the people, you are robbing God. That is blunt. But then he also preaches in very strong terms about the blessings God will give. Uh, verse 11 and 12 of our passage. God says, if you trust me and give, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. It's God's quite capable of looking after us. Sometimes when we have extra bills on the car or the roof, I sometimes think that's just sort of the tithe we probably should have given to the Lord in advance. He's quite capable of making things uh, work out if we trust him. Um, and he says, trust me with this, and I'll make sure you've got what you need. Now, it's not just financial, of course. And there's some branch of the church that get themselves in a right mess about this. God wants to bless us with things far more valuable than money, relationships and joy and peace uh, and all those things. Uh, and I rather like this picture in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, if you go on and read the book. Uh, Malachi 4, 2. For you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you'll go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Well, there's a prayer for St. Paul's, that we'd be a church that frolics like well-fed calves. Isn't that lovely? It's a picture of health and joy and contentment and overflow. Um, I'm not quite sure what the 21st century equivalent is, you can come and tell me. But that picture of just joy, as we trust God, he gives to us and there is joy. Now, people do say to me, well, what about tithing today? Isn't that a bit legalistic to give 10%? And the answer is, yes, it is. Um, tithing is biblical, but it's not Christian. In the New Testament, it talks about generosity and sacrifice, tithes and offerings. I think it goes well beyond tithing. Uh, in Malachi's day, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and then give other offerings. I think the equivalent for us is the church, the storehouse. So I say we tithe to the church and give beyond that. Uh, but tithing's not to be legalistic. The Pharisees were very legalistic. The only mention of tithing Jesus gives. He said, yes, they should tithe, but they should also care about justice and things as well. He never says they shouldn't. But the principle is generosity and sacrifice. And for those of us that are better off, that means, I'm sure, at least tithing. Uh, for those of you that are poorer and have less income, tithing is incredibly generous. If you don't really have very much, to give 10% away is a lot. And God promises to meet your needs. And one of the ways may be, if you need extra help, we have a hardship fund. For those of you who have a lot of money, giving 10% of it, 90% of a lot is still a lot. You've still got a lot. So actually, we can do more than that. And uh, I think of tithing as a bit like teaching children to ride a bike. 
In our day, you had stabilizers or training wheels. Now they seem to go along without any pedals and they use their feet. But it, uh, stabilizers help you not to fall over while you're getting the hang of riding a bike. And then you don't need the stabilizers anymore. So stabilizers in money terms, I think, are save 10%, give 10%, live off 80. That's a really good, teach your children that, teach them to give early, good principle. Uh, Tithing, but they're like the stabilizers. Once we've learned to give generously and sacrificially, actually you can slightly stop counting because God has a way of making it all work out. I don't quite know how, but God does seem to do it. So let's look at this from a New Testament perspective. Uh, and the best passage I know is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, an old favorite for many of us here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. St. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth to give, in this case, to help the church in Jerusalem where there's been a famine. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And... God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in all good works. So that's this, this, this same virtuous cycle. Give and it will be given to you. Be generous and God's able to be more generous to you. If you're sparing, actually receive more sparingly. It's the old thing about opening our hands to receive all that God wants to give to us. So three principles there. We give generously, verse 6. It's this principle of reaping and sowing. Uh, to a farmer that hasn't learnt that, to tell them to plant a lot of their corn, they'll have less to eat that year. But if they're generous with the planting, then there's more the next year. And we have to, in a sense, die to ourselves for God to give the increase. Unless a grain of wheat dies, it remains just one. But when, it's, when it dies, it can become a hundred. Uh, this principle of generosity, uh, which for most of us I think is at least tithing. For those of you who've never started, you're doing the um, maths in your head and you're thinking, hold on, I earn this. 10% is that. My goodness, what planet's he on? Now, when you go out to the, the sales, I used to say the after Christmas sales, they're now on, aren't they? The pre-Christmas sales, the Black Friday, the all-year sales. You go out to buy something you want, hoping for a decent reduction, like 30% or 50%. It says 10% off. What do you say? Oh, it's hardly worth it. It's nothing. You know, it's going to cost 500. It's now 450. I'm not sure. It's nothing. When it comes to giving 10%, we go, how much? It's a different attitude. Uh, it's the attitude is what God's after. Let's trust him and give to him generously. Uh, God blesses us back in so many ways. Uh, I'm just so grateful that I was brought up by my parents to give generously to tithe plus and I could bore you with stories all day long many of you have heard them so many times I'm not going to put most of them in today just one or two uh, but in your small groups tell the stories of how God blesses as we give generously second principle is thoughtfully we need to think this through verse 7 of our reading each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give so think it through what do I earn What's 10% of that? If you're married, talk with your partner about it. If they don't share your Christian faith, then it's a more interesting conversation, but it needs to happen. Don't give what's not yours. Uh, agree together what you're going to do. Uh, you can be sensible about it. If one of you is a higher 
tax giver, um, payer, um, give it through your account because you can claim we claim the we claim the normal rate of tax back. You can claim the extra back. Every year there's someone who hadn't realised that and. Uh, says, oh, I've managed to claim back five years of extra tax. Thank you so much. That's been marvellous. If you want to know how that works, ask Andrew, our treasurer. He'll explain it. Uh, think it through. What do I earn? What can I give? What's 10%? How do I do that? Do I want to give to the, the, the church and beyond? Um, pray it through. Some of you are very logical and will work it all through. Some of you are much more artistic about it. Ask the Lord to put a number in your head. That's a great way to do it. Um, my recommendation is not to argue with the Lord, because in my mind, when I do that, it usually goes up. Although, if I believe my own preaching, that's fine, because the more I give, the more blessing there is. But, uh, ask the Lord to put a number, work it out. I know lots of couples where one's one and one's the other, and they come up with the same number. It's, it's, the Lord has a way of doing that. Please give it tax efficiently, because uh, the government will give us back. For every £80 you give, we get £20 back, so it becomes £100. Um, Doing it through the parish giving scheme that I mentioned, they collect it automatically. So please do that if you possibly can. It works if you can give monthly on the first of the month. If that doesn't work for you, then do it the old way through standing order and signing gift aid forms and all the paperwork's on the desk at the back. Uh, do think through the needs of the church. So you might want to think, well, what are the needs of this church? How much resources do we carry? We carry enough money for about three or four months' ministry. Our budget is about 600,000 a year. We have about 200,000 uh, in money. That we, so it's about three or four months, which is not overcautious, I think. That's, that's kind of what we carry. Um, thinking it through what the church needs, our giving and expenditure has been fairly flat for three years, as I said earlier. Now, normally it goes up by about 30,000 a year, by sort of 5% a year. But for the last three years, it hasn't. Um, so in 2019, we had a 30,000 deficit. That was okay, because we'd had 10 or 20 surplus the year or two before. But it's why I was going to preach about money properly, <laughs> because we had a 30,000 deficit. Then COVID hit. and I thought, Oh, no, Lord, what are we going to do? So we prayed. Um, we put some of the staff on furlough, because all of the activities in the building stopped. We got some furlough money from the government. The giving was down a bit. We didn't spend anything on coffee or heating, really, so we saved some money. And we wound up being okay. Uh, two members of staff moved on halfway through the year, so that, that saved some salary. Uh, in this year, we've had two members of staff sort of join halfway through the year. So again, there's half the year we haven't had to pay for all that. Lots of the activities weren't happening in the first part of the year. We're heading for about a 20,000 deficit this year. But the effect on all of that for next year's budget is we've kind of got three years' increases all at once, uh, which winds up meaning we're needing kind of an extra 100,000 a year to what we've been doing. Now, that sounds terrible. Oh, my goodness. Until you actually do the maths. I don't really know how many people are still part of St. Paul's we have, because we haven't seen everybody. But it's probably at least 400 adults. If every adult could give an extra five pounds a week, 400, on average, some of you can't possibly, but some of you can, and some could give much more. If on average, every adult could give an extra five pounds a week, that's 2,000 pounds a week, that's 100,000 a year. This is entirely doable. Um, some, if you've never started giving, please do. We need everybody doing this, and it's good for you. 
Uh, if you're giving very generously already, that may be a stretch too far. Juliet and I have done our sums, and we've decided we're going to go for the extra £5 a week. So that's two of us, that's £10 a week, an extra 500 a year. Don't mind telling you that, because I'm asking the whole church to do it. Uh, students say to me, well, what should we do? We don't really have any money, it's ours, it's all debt. And I say, well, you have money you can spend on pizza and beer, and I'm sure you spend at least a fiver a week on that. Um, give £5 a week, £20 a month, get started. Uh, for those of you who are earning, obviously a percentage would be better than that. Um, but it's to th that's, this is thinking it through. It's a principle of generosity, it's a principle of, uh, and I'm talking about £5 extra a week, obviously on top of what we're giving. Uh, if £5 a week is your tithe, then you need the hardship fund. <laughs> we want to help you. Uh, last principle, generously, thoughtfully, I've lost where I've got to in my notes, um, cheerfully, verse 7, one of my favourite Greek words, you know this, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, because I've taught you every year, the Greek word for cheerful is hilarion. It's where we get the word hilarious from. You can be like calves frolicking in your stools, giving, uh, giving joyfully as you fill this out, like giving presents joyfully. It is joyful, daring to trust God. And he will provide for our needs. Verse 8, this is a, another great promise. Uh, God is able to bless you abundantly, so in all things, at all times, having all you need, you'll abound in every good work. My testimony is having been giving to the Lord uh, as long as I, for 40 years now, properly, since I bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord when I was 18, he has always provided for our needs. I was just thinking back to a time in Hinkley, my last parish, where we had to really bump up our giving, and Juliet and I talked about upping the percentage from 10% to more, and Juliet said, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to have to prune things out of the shopping bill weekly. I said, like what? She said, well, like crisps. I was really upset about that because I like crisps but, uh, and various other things. I told the church this. Everybody came to visit with packs of crisps to the point I had to say, please don't. It's not, not good for my health. More importantly, two people sent checks that week who didn't know from way beyond that more than covered what we're giving. I don't know how the Lord works this, but he does. You give and it's given to us. Uh, I could tell many other stories, but I won't. Let me just tell this one. I heard a sermon a few years ago said this. Here's Christian A, and here is Christian B. And both of them earn about the same money and have similar outgoings. Christian A does his budget. He has his income, he has his expenditure, he works it all out. There's very little margin, so he gives tiny amounts. Christian B has, does his budget, says... If I'm giving 10%, I don't see how it's going to work out. But there's all God's promises, so I'm going to trust. And he gives. And he has all the testimonies of God providing for his needs and the joy and frolicking like calf in a stall. And so on. Now, the thing is, both of these Christians think the other is an idiot. This one thinks that one's an idiot. How irresponsible. What an idiot. This one, who receives all of God's blessings, thinks that one's an idiot because he's missing out. And my preaching challenge is, which sort of idiot do you want to be? It's entirely up to you. If you think you're better off not giving, good luck to you. Um, God is the great giver, and we can't outgive him. And you give freely and generously. And I don't know what anybody gives, so I choose not to know. So let's come into land. We have this amazing vision God's giving us to overflow to other churches. Wouldn't it be wonderful if in 10 years' time we can look back and see churches that have been planted and re-energized and people who are here now serving all sorts of different places and the kingdom of God that has grown more. 
Obviously, that takes... As I hope that some are called to stay. I feel called to stay. Um, because as people go, we need others to step up and we need to give and provide. Uh, but each of us has a part to play in serving, in giving, in all this. Uh, so we're going to just have a time of reflecting. Um, I wonder if you'd take that card that's got the Take My Life hymn. Uh, we're not going to actually just play the hymn. We're just going to play some background music quietly. But you might just like to read through that and make that prayer your own. Uh, and then on the other card... Um, there's a response if you'd like to make it on the, the one with the text on it. On the back, it just says name, giving, serving, praying. If you wanted to jot down what you're going to do on that and offer it to the Lord, you're welcome. Uh, what's going to happen with these is that I'm going to pray for each of them. Um, so if you don't want to put your name on it, don't put your name on it. When I pray for it, I'll say, Lord, you know who this is. Please bless them. If you want to put your name on it so that uh, I can pass the details on if you're offering to serve in the children's groups or pray for me or whatever it is, then um, I'll be able to get back to you. I'm happy to pass on anything that's about giving to Andrew, the treasurer. I don't need to know. You don't need to put your name on it. Uh, we've got lots of biros around at the back and that John and Paul will wander around offering those. But you might like to jot something down and then at the end of the service, I'll invite you to come and lay these before the Lord.